We're coming up uh, almost to the end here. We'll wrap up just in time for Easter. Uh, and, um, and Peter is gonna be talking about, uh, we're in chapter four. He's gonna be talking about a theme that he's been really the theme of the book. And what he's been talking about this, uh, really from the beginning, as we talk about hope in a hostile world and, and, and this theme of, of suffering in the midst of, uh, of like for our faith, living for your faith and living out your faith and somehow having hope in the midst of even suffering. There's an article written, it's a number of years old now. Um, uh, and, and, um, and in it, there's a, the guy who writes it, uh, his name is Justin uh, Long, and, and he did some research um, on, uh, particularly on martyrdom and, and like Christians who have, who have been killed for their faith and, and stats and trying to figure out and look at like, all right, statistically, what is this like phenomenon? Like, what does it look like? And, and what are the trends? And here's what he says, from AD 33, it's from the cross to 1900, we have documented, and you know, they estimate as best they can, of course, we can't document every single instance of a martyrdom, but we've documented 14 million martyrs. I mean, think about that. That's, I mean, I, I don't know the largest city in the United States, what New York, maybe LA, they probably are like one and two and, and they might be at that level. It might be just a little under or, or right around there. But like you think about 14 million, I mean, that's entire civil, entire countries. From the time of Jesus till 1900, 14 million Christians have been killed for their faith. And, and it's hard to verify exactly these numbers, but everyone, everyone agrees the number is staggering. And then he says this, during this century, so the last, the last hundred years, we have documented cases in excess of not 14 million, 26 million martyrs. Here's what he says. Here's what he, this is the, the, the case that he makes. More people have died in the last 100 years than the previous 1900 years. So here's the deal. As much as we think about like Christians dying for their faith and being killed as something in the past and that's just sort of antiquated, happened way back then. Oh, it's very much happening now. In fact, it's, it's estimated that on average, 100 to a, the, depending on who you look at, 100 to 159,000 martyrs are killed every year. Currently. This happens all over the world. And, and we don't see this in America. We have freedom of religion. We have a constitution that legally protects our ability to worship. It's why we can do this openly. And we're not worried about anyone coming to shut us down or haul us off. But that's not true around the world. In fact, there are places where you have an un, literally an underground secret church. If you go to, to especially communist countries and, and, and China is, is famously known for their underground church. And, and like, because if you're found out, you can be punished and even killed. And there's martyrs every year that are, that are being killed because of their, of their faith in various areas around the world. And, and, and uh, in, in, in specific countries, it's even worse. I, I, know, I read this last year or this last week that, that um, particularly in Africa and Sudan um, and in the Congo, this is, like, this is like beyond prevalent. It seems to be higher there for some reason that if you're a Christian, your life is always at risk. So Peter is gonna focus on this, on this idea and this theme of suffering because he's writing to a group and a church that is suffering. I mean, physically suffering. The church members are losing their lives. They're being killed for their faith. 
So he writes 1 Peter to address that, and, and the passage this morning is going to address it even more so than before. And, and here's what he's going to, once he focuses on like suffering, he's going to focus then on the, the positive benefits and the aspects of suffering. And, and here's what, here's what we, we have to realize, that suffering as a Christian always has to be done in view of eternity. That it's, it's much more than just thinking of the here and now and the this is what's happening, this is terrible, I can't believe this. And instead to, to take a, a larger view and say, okay, but what is, the, what is the bigger picture here? Because this is bigger than just any one incident. What's the, on the grand scale of, of like the history of the world, we need some perspective. What we see is that even in the midst of suffering, the glory of the Lord always lies ahead of us. That, there's, that there really is a reward. Like when, if we believe this, we read this and we know this to be true and you believe it and you're like, Man, I, okay, well, if this says it, I believe it. That this talks about us being, there really is a reward ahead of us. And especially for those who, who die for their faith, like, like there really is glory and blessing ahead of them. And so Peter is gonna address this very issue. Um, there's a quote by, um, uh, he was the president of Columbia Bible College and, and uh, I love this quote, he says this. It is suffering and then glory. Not to have the suffering means not to have the glory. And it's, it's an equation and it's in that order. And, and you don't get to like experience all the great things of God without first experiencing at least some degree of trial and hardship and even suffering. Many Christians are surprised to hear about this and, and um, uh, shocked when trials come. And uh, um, as, though, as though it's like the goal of Christianity is to, is to make your life easy. And, and we'll, even, we'll even like present a gospel with that kind of tone. And, and we're like, like, there's a certain theology that will suggest like, like you know, the, the sun always shines on Christians and the grass is always greener. I, one, one, uh, one commentator wrote it like this. I like, I like what he says. He says that the, the spiritual temperature around us is always ideal. It's always perfect. Like, like you have in your home, you have a thermostat, right? I, I imagine, right? And you can control, like, by the way, if, if you can control the temperature, you are filthy rich. Did you know that? Like in the world scale, like you can control the temperature and you're, you probably got a little magic in your home too. Like this is witchcraft. How can you do this? And, and like, no, it's, it's a thermostat. What? <laughs> and and you, have a, you have a number. You have a number that you like, that you prefer, right? And, and like, this can actually cause problems because if you and like your family or your spouse, like if your numbers are different, yeah, that's, that's a problem, right? And like, and it's like this constant battle of like who gets to the thermostat first or like who can change it secretly. And like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know how, how, how do they, I don't know how the temperature went up two degrees. I, so shocking, maybe the dog did, I don't know. And and like, like you have it, like you, some of them are even smart. You can program like, okay, in the day we want this temperature, at night we want this temperature. Like, like your life, your life is all about comfort. And, and even in your home, like I want the perfect temperature and you can achieve it. You do achieve it, well done. And, and what he says is like, spiritually, we can think that sometimes in our lives, it's our job to say, all right, like Lord, it's your job to make spiritually my life perfect the perfect temperature. And, and, and the goal is to make sure like, it's not too hot, it's not too cold. Like I want my spiritual rock just right. And this is my ideal growing like temperature. And I grow as my faith in this kind of setting and, and too much of this or not enough of this. And, and like, it'll mess me up. And, and as long as God, just keep me in this spot. 
And, and what we realize and what, what Peter's gonna tell us is that is not at all how Christianity works. That's not at all biblical Christianity. It's this idea that God's gonna make our life the perfect amount of comfort. I remember I, remember I became a Christian and um, uh, started going to these, uh, these like evangelism training, like conferences and stuff. Um, and uh, and we're, we'd go, it was in high school and then college, where you'd go uh, to Point Loma and, you know, for a week or so, and, and you'd take classes on apologetics and like how to share your faith. And, and, um, and, and, then, and then you'd partner up two by two and they'd partner you up with someone. You'd go out on the beaches or the parks or whatever, and you would go talk to strangers about Jesus. I mean, the, like the scariest thing you could think of, right? As a Christian, like I have to talk about it with strangers. All right. And we didn't, you'd go for three, four, five, six hours a day going out, talking to people. And I remember um, going out with, uh, you know, you, you, sometimes you went out with someone you didn't know. Sometimes it was a friend. I remember going out with a friend once and, um, and I remember her explaining the gospel and I'm like, okay, yeah, you lead and I'll just, you know, kind of see how you do things. And, and, and the gospel was this, if you decide to follow Jesus, he will fix all the problems in your life. That's what he does. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Listen, he, he, it's a crazy thing that happens, but like all the bad stuff, like he makes all the, all the, the crooked roads straight and even kind of quasi quote scripture and kind of like, you know, like, and, and, and I, remember, I remember hearing this being like, okay, I want that kind of Christianity. I don't have that. I'm in, I'm a follow Jesus. And I'm like, how do I get that version? How do I get this thing that you're talking about? Because like for me, I became a Christian and life got harder. Like it got like worse. Like I lost friends over this. But like you're talking about is, is awesome, wonderful. I mean, how can you not choose to follow that? That not, is not at all what, what Peter's gonna tell us. It's simply not true. And he's gonna say, we shouldn't be surprised when we face trial. He says, when we face fiery trials that come our way. We're in a spiritual war, whether we know it or not, whether you like it or not. If this, if we, again, if we read this and know it to be true, and this tells us that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual world, against principalities and, and authorities and powers that like, like we, we don't see that there really is an adversary, a, a, a Satan that, that is against us and God's people. And like he has, he has other beings that are against and like there really is a spiritual battle that wages. And so it's not unusual or strange that like that life would be full of trials, suffering and hardship. Christians have faced trials from the beginning of, the, of Christianity, from the, from, from the time of Jesus' death until now. It's been a normal part of the faith. So why would we think we're somehow immune? to any kind of suffering for faith. Here's what Peter's gonna tell us this morning, kind of the overall theme of this chapter. He's what he says. Servants of Christ should also be willing to suffer for Christ. Oof. Okay, Pete, I hear you. Servants of Christ should also be willing, not that they are gonna experience this every day and that this is like what they want to do, but no, no, no. But as a servant of Christ, I'm all right, Lord, I'm, 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 whatever you say, I'm in, I'm all in. I put all my chips in, I'm in. As a servant of Jesus, I have to be willing to also, ooh, at times, maybe this is the case, to suffer for Jesus. Peter himself, we see, suffered greatly. The tradition tells us that Peter was killed for his faith. He was a martyr. He wasn't just words he was writing down for someone else, that this was, like, he experienced this. Tradition tells us that he was crucified just like Jesus, but except upside down. 
Well, the story goes is that, that he would be killed just like Jesus was and the Romans would, would take pleasure in it. Like, we're gonna kill you just like we did your master. And he says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to die in the same way. And he actually requested to be done upside down. And they were like, great, a new way to do it. This will be fun. Ooh, and he died for his faith. He experienced this. So he begins by saying this, as a Christian, don't be surprised at suffering. Don't be, don't be shocked as though this is some sort of new thing that's like, I, where did this come from? This isn't, I didn't sign up for this. Don't be surprised at suffering. It's never easy to be a Christian. In fact, being a Christian can actually increase struggle and increase loneliness and, um, and unpopularity. And I remember talking with Pastor Brian this last week um, about uh, like, like when, you, when he chose to really choose to like follow Jesus on his own, like he lost friends, like a whole friend group. I'm like I did too. It became like a, a weird time of like trying to figure out identity because like, man, I got bounced quick because I started going to church. It can increase problems and sacrifices and even persecution. And, and in Peter's view, persecution is inevitable. Here's what he says. First Peter 4, verse 12, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that, comes, that has come on you to test you. Don't be surprised at this thing. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed. Here it is, suffering and then glory. You may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. It seems like persecution is a test and it's actually like a double test. In, in one way, it's, it's a test of, of how devoted you are to, to faith. And, and, um, and, and it's like, it measures the willingness someone has to experience and to suffer for their faith. All right, how serious are you? Now you, how serious are you? Are you willing to experience suffering and hardship and trial because you're a Christian? Are you willing to do that? Is your faith that strong? Or, or when suffering comes, when pressure comes, do we kind of cower and back off and, and take the kind of the, the Peter denial route? Hey, weren't you with this guy? No, 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 not me. It was someone else. It wasn't me. Suffering seems to measure just how serious your faith is. And not only that, on the second kind of test, it, it actually shows who the real Christians are. That if you suffer for your faith, there's a sense in which he's like, hey, you should rejoice because you, you actually identify as part of this. Like there's a, there's a sense in which it's like, all right. Like I've, as real Christians experience persecution, I'm experienced real persecution, not like made up. I'm like, like I'm bringing this upon myself, but like, I think this is real persecution. Awesome, I guess, I'm, I guess I really am in. This is great. I remember uh, a number of years ago, uh, I, uh, when I was a youth pastor, I would take um, high schoolers to, uh, on mission trips and, and um, we would go to Mexico. And then, I don't know if you remember a number of years ago when like the, the, the 
the, the cartel stuff started ramping up and they like, they like shut down the border and like, it was like, okay, we can't go over. So we, we changed and we started going to, you know, the really safest part of, um, you know, uh, downtown San Francisco, it's super safe. And, and, um, and, and I take kids there and, and we went to this place called the Tenderloin District. And, and it's the place, if you know anything about San Francisco, um, it's, it's the place like literally on the map of like the sightseeing of San Francisco, it like you can see in the map, like it draws a line around the whole area. And it's like, we could go straight through, but no, no, we'll turn here. And, and like, it, like it's avoided for a reason. And we're like, let's go there. So we would take kids there, um, you know, dozens and dozens of kids to go serve in the heart of San Francisco. And, and, um, and this is also the place that I don't, maybe you heard this name before, Francis Chan, maybe you have even read some of his books and stuff. Or, um, it was the place where he decided to go one of the, for one of the years. And I'm like, wait, what, really? Like, I mean, this was not a very large ministry that was going on there. And so, um, you know, the guy who runs it is like, yeah, he's going to be here. And, and I'm like, can, can you like have him like hang out with us? He's like, sure. I'm like, sweet. I'm like, can he do devotions? Yeah, I'll ask him. Yeah, he's going to do it. Awesome, right? We get like a private devotion time. And I remember in this time, um, even afterward, talking with him specifically about an incident that another guy had. And, uh, and he goes, man, there's a guy just last week who serves here um, and he's going, you know, door to door helping people. And, uh, and, they, and this person who answered the door said, are you a Christian? He's like, yeah, yeah, I am. I want to help. And he punched him in the face, split his lip open. I know. Oh, and I said, oh, shocking. And I remember in Francis is like, man, that is so cool. I'm like, yeah, that is cool. He's like, I want, he's like, I want that to happen to me. But like, I want, he goes, I want to be punched in the face for my faith. I've never really suffered physically, but he goes, but I don't want it to hurt. Is that bad? I'm like, man, dude, I could totally get on board with your style. He's like, like, like if they're going to swing at him, like he kind of misses and just hits me enough that like, hey, he struck me, but like, not really, you know, wasn't a hundred percent. I'm like, I could totally get that because there's a sense he's like, he even got like, there's a sense in which you say like, man, suffering physically is like, yeah, all right, I'm in. Like, this is a part of, like, I'm part of the family. Like, thank you, Lord. Peter tells us this, that when rejoice in as much as you participate in just even just a little bit of the suffering of Jesus for your faith, oh, take joy in that Christians, as Christians, don't be surprised at suffering. Not only should we not be surprised at suffering, but as a Christian, suffering is an honor. It should be a badge of honor. And this is what I think what Francis is trying to say. Like there's a sense in which like, I've got some physical suffering. And, and even the next week, I mean, the guy still had, the guy who got hit still had a little mark on his lip and you're like, man, he's so cool. That guy, it was, a, I mean, literally like a, a red badge of honor. Like I've suffered. For, I'm like, I've never suffered for, man, all right. Like he took a punch. What, could I take a punch? I don't know if I have a choice, but like, all right. Suffering, as a Christian, suffering is an honor. I, I now, this is really hard for us to understand in our Western mindset because you and I, and, and it's no fault of our own. We grew up, I, I imagine most of us grew up here in the States. And, and so like our culture is very individualistic and, and it's very much me and my, and, and like the pursuit of not happiness, but my happiness. What's most important is, is like what happens in my life. And I needed to make decisions for me, even if it affects or neglects the people around me, so be it, it's about me. And, and not so in the times of scripture and, and, and even in other cultures now, 
they very much, uh, they very much like live and move on a, on a culture of honor and shame. And the greatest thing in life is to bring honor to your family, your community, your people, your history, your background. And the worst thing is you could bring, man, if you brought shame on your family, there's there nothing worse than that. We look at shame now as like, ah, shame just means I feel guilty about, you know, that, that I, you know, I said something I shouldn't have or, or I did that thing, but like, all right, shame on the family. Well, I don't even know what that means. But like in, in, in the times of scripture, it was a, it was really important. The community was important. And your role in the community was important. Here's what he says in verse 14. He continues, if you are insulted, he uses this word and the Greek literally means reproach or revile, mock, or, or and it says this, to heap insults upon as a way of shaming. It isn't just like, you know, they call you a name, but like, it, like intentionally because you're a Christian, they insult you and try to shame you. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, he says, you are blessed. Oh, darn you, Peter. Okay. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And then he says this, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler, okay? However, if you suffer as a Christian, if you are shamed because of the name of Christ, do not be ashamed but praise God that you bear the name. If you're ashamed for your faith, if they try to shame you, he says, don't be ashamed. Don't let that identify you or, or, or be the thing that defines you because you should actually rejoice. You actually identify with the name. Like you are part of the family of God. Wow. This is high praise. It is an honor. It means God's spirit rests on you. You bear his name. You belong to the family. But then... Peter makes sure to clarify something for us. He tells us specifically like, like suffer. You don't get to suffer because of your sin. That's not what he's talking about. Like you don't get to say like, woe is me because of consequences that you've, like actions and decisions that you've made have consequences and like, oh, wow, I'm just really suffering because I did this thing. No, no that's not what he's saying. He says, you, you shouldn't, listen, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer. Now, I'm gonna, I guess, raise your hand if you're like, check, got it. Didn't do that one, right? I'm in the clear. So far, I'm good. It should not be as a murderer. Okay, deal. Or a thief. Okay, I've stolen a few things. I remember the first time I, do you remember the first thing you stole? Right? Other than your spouse's heart? Oh, that was, I just thought of that right now. I didn't plan that. It's not written. That's a good joke. I remember the first thing I stole was a little Jolly Rancher, not even a pack just like a single, like the, you know, the bulk bins. And I remember as a, as a kid, I wasn't even a Christian, but I'm, we're on a field trip and we're going to this candy store and it's like awesome. And I had no money and I'm like, oh man, but I want it. I want it so bad, right? Watermelon, it's just calling out. I can taste it right now. I need to eat it. And I remember taking it, just, you know, put it in my pocket, getting back on the bus and being like, oh, it tasted so good, you guys, until it didn't. And then the guilt and I remember driving home, I remember, um, I don't even think I ever told my parents, but I had this like sense of like, that was wrong. I stole. Now, I imagine you and I, I hope you're not stealing Jolly Ranchers at the store as you walk by right now, but you've probably stolen something, 
right? Theft for us looks different. Maybe we don't, maybe we fudge the numbers a little bit on that, on that thing, on, that, uh, on our business deal or, or you know, on our, on our taxes. We just don't claim certain stuff. We just kind of like, ah, well, you know, this will be better if we just do it this way. And like, yeah, it's not entirely ethical, but like, oh, oh, but it'll be so beneficial. Oh man. I remember talking to, to a buddy of mine who was like, he, he saw even accidental theft as theft, or accidental theft is this. You've done this. I know you have. I won't call you out by name, but I've watched you do it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, where, where like you, you get all the stuff at the store and they ring you up and then they miss an item, but it's not your fault, right? It's all in your cart. You think it's all good. You're checking your receipt and you're like, oh, they didn't charge me for the thing. Oh, accidental theft. You didn't mean to. And I know this buddy, he's like, man, this, this happens. I go back to the store and I rebuy it. And I show them what happened. Sometimes they let me like, just keep it, you know, it was, you know, it was $8 or whatever. And other times I'm like, I, I got to buy, but he goes, for me, that would be stealing. And I don't want to, I don't even want to have the approach of like it possibly even looking like stealing. All right. So if you steal something and get caught, he's saying, that's not suffering. That's not what he's talking about. He goes on, if you suffer as a criminal, any other kind of criminal says, that's not, that's not suffering. Okay. That seems fair. We all, we all hear that and say, that's justice. That makes sense. That makes sense. You, you commit a crime, you get caught, you get punished, so be it. That's not persecution. And then he says this, but don't suffer even as a meddler. Uh-oh. For some of us, meddling is our spiritual gift. <laughs> right? Like you think like, like involving myself in the lives of other people is what I do best. In fact, I practice it. I've been, I've been, I've been rehearsing. Like, I'm really good at it. I'll tell you all about it, right? Yeah, like whether you want me to or not. And, and for some of us, like, like we read that, it seems like, a, like a, such a weird item to pull in there until you realize like, like it's actually a big deal. NASB says, uh, it translates this word as, um, as a troublesome meddler. Uh, New King James says it, that they're busy bodies in the lives, uh, in other people's lives. And, and I don't know if you know this or realize this, this is actually a theme in the New Testament. This isn't like a one-off verse where he's like, you know, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit crimes, and, you know, don't meddle. And you're like, where did that come from? No, this is, this is actually in the New Testament. And, and it's, it's in there because apparently Christians are really good at getting involved in matters that aren't our own. <laughs> We're really good at like, like, there's a saying, go sticking our nose in other people's business. Like, Hey, what do you, what do you, what's going on there? Oh, oh right. I got some advice. Oh, let me, let me tell you how you should deal with that. Hey, did you hear what they're doing? I heard that she said that he said that they're doing this and like, we need to, we need to confront them. All right, let's, uh, and, and they're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And here, let, just so you know, I'm not making this up. Let's read what the Bible says about you. I mean, meddlers. <laughs> it says this. Second Thessalonians, Paul writes this. We hear that some of you, some among you are idle and disruptive. Like you just aren't doing anything. They are not busy. You're not busy. They are busy bodies. <laughs> They're just making stuff up, making jobs for them to do. Such people, we, we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. I don't know if you realize Paul was so blunt about this and honest, but he says probably to what like many of us have said to our teenage kids and maybe even like your college kids, hey, you need to get a job. That's what Paul just said. Some of you are just idle. You don't have work and you're not doing, and, and instead here's what you need. Settle down and start earning the food you eat. Get a job, start working because this is unproductive. And he, and he goes on in First Timothy, he says this. 
Besides, he's describing now to Timothy as a leader of the church. He's like, let me describe the, some of the people you're gonna meet in church. And he says this, besides, they get in the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they, not, they ought not to. Peter and Paul address this. And you know why they write it? Because people were doing it. It's something that was an issue. And, and uh, I, I, we wish we could say like, well, that was just something 2000 years ago they did. But man, here we are today. And guess what? We're still just as good as it. We're probably better actually, right? Because we're just, we know more about people. Like we have Facebook. Oh, it's so easy to meddle. It's so easy to get involved. We can text, we can, we can, like I can interrupt your life in a moment's notice. You can interrupt mine. Well, you try to, we'll see what happens. But you can, you can, tr- in a moment's notice. I've, I've like this, this, this happens. And what they're saying is, hey, listen, if you're gonna do that, if you're gonna like insert yourself into other people's businesses and other people's lives and other people's issues, he says, and if you suffer for it, that's not persecution. That's reaping what you sow. <laughs> this is you causing problems and then a feeling the effect. And he mentioned specifically that one by name because it was happening. And, and like, it still happens today. Like I've talked to people and, and you know, they're, and, and, and they, they like the, the attitude is almost like, I just really, I'm like, I really want to help people. I just want to help people and I want to speak into their life um, uninvited or unannounced. I just want to tell them what they should do. And, and like, I just don't think that people understand how good of a Christian I am and how I can help them. And, and, and you too, pastor, I can help you. Okay, hold on. This, this just took a turn. And, and here's the deal. The New Testament says, stop it. Hey, stop it. Peter says, if you suffer for that, that doesn't count. That's not suffering. Instead, when you are shamed for your faith, he says, don't be ashamed. When you experience real suffering and real insult and real persecution because you are a Christian, all right, that is an honor. Then he goes on to say this. Not only is it an honor, but there's hope too. As a Christian, he says, suffering is not the end. Regardless of what you're going through or how hard it is or, or how long it's been, you've been experiencing or, or how intense it is, like however difficult it may be, it is not the end. We have a better end in store for us. He goes on to say this, verse 17, for it is, it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. That's an interesting phrase. And, it, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then he quotes a proverb, Proverb eleven thirty one, And it is, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? If this, if this life is hard for us, how much, hard, how much worse is it gonna be for them? So then, verse 19, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Apparently, suffering acts as a purifier. And this purification, this judgment, it begins with God's household and it even begins now with suffering. And the church as a whole actually goes through a process of of purification that will eventually end with us meeting Jesus and being a pure spotless bride. But somehow, some way, suffering actually starts the process now. 
And he says, if it's, if it, listen, if it starts for us, how much worse is it gonna be for those who aren't, who aren't a part of the gospel, who don't know Jesus, who aren't in the family, who don't claim his name? It is an honor to experience just a taste of what Jesus did. And, and we know it is not the end. Instead of blaming God for hardship, he says, stay faithful. Stay faithful to him. Continue to do good. Live out your life knowing that this is not the end and commit yourself to who God is, to following him. As a Christian, suffering, he says, is not the end. So we would do well to learn what Peter is telling us. That servants of Christ should be willing, man, to suffer for Christ. So how do you do that? I'm gonna guess that, you know, in a, you know at, at church this size and people in this room, um, we're not all experiencing suffering or hardship or persecution or insults and shame. Some of us might be, and it's like, man, it's like overwhelming right now. It, you feel it, but not all of us. But I, I could say this, according, according to both the, the promise of Jesus and the writers in the New Testament, it's coming. If you haven't experienced any kind of persecution or suffering, even to a little degree, not that it's gonna be physical necessarily, but like some sort of like, like fallout because you're a follower of Jesus, man, don't think you're immune to it. Don't think that somehow it's God's job to, to make sure the spiritual temperature is just right and that nothing ever bad can happen to me because I, I follow God. Until you meet a Christian who's had it rough and you realize, man, maybe it isn't about God making our, making our, our thermostat just right. I was talking after this last service with a guy who worked with missionaries and, and mission organizations. And, and one of the things that they did was they tried to get, um, they wanted to get prayer requests from, particularly from churches and people who were in these areas of high suffering in the, in the, um, uh, in the, um, uh, like there's like a window in the world where there's like the, the martyrdom is like, is like tenfold the rest of the world. And, and he said, we would get these prayer requests. And he goes, Brandon, it was shocking. And I've read this from other people who heard the same thing. The prayer request was not, God, would, would God deliver us from this thing? It's not, God, will you stop the suffering or save us from the suffering? The prayer request, he said, every time, and I've read this and it's like, it's so challenging. The, the prayer request every time was, give us the courage to withstand it. Give us the courage to experience it. Give us the courage not to fall away. That's the, that's the prayer request, not God, make this stop. That's not, there was never the, uh, there was never the option, it was never the desire, it was never the one. It was, all right, Lord, give me the strength to suffer for you. That is a different kind of faith. That, that kind of faith, I mean, really, that kind of faith is unshakable where they're like, hey, I'm not even wanting it to go away. I don't even, I just, I just wanna, I just wanna honor my savior through it. Ooh. So for us, I don't know what is next in your life. I don't know if hardship or suffering or trial or insult or persecution or shame is coming. One day it probably is. And so how do you respond? How do you decide now what you will do in that moment? When your faith is tested, do you shrink back? Do you kind of cower? Do you not stand up? Or do you say, all right, this seems to be, this seems to be the way of Jesus. And, and, and the closer you are to Jesus, just like his disciples, man, the more it seemed to be about a life 
of suffering. As much as we want to say God has a one, God has a God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You've probably heard this, right? You probably shared that. I've shared that. And then I read the Bible and I'm like, man, his wonderful plan for their life seemed terrible. <laughs> it was full of suffering. Maybe his idea of a wonderful plan is not ours. And so how do we get ready to respond to suffering when it comes? Would you do this? Would you stand with me as we worship together and we, and we, we, we pursue Jesus and ask the Lord together for the strength to, to withstand any attack on our faith. So Lord, we, we, do, um, we do thank you and we worship you and, and we do ask that you would strengthen us in our core that our prayer request wouldn't be take all of this hardship away, but instead, all right, Lord, give me the courage and strength to walk through it. Sustain me in the midst of these fiery ordeals. Keep me focused on you. We worship you now together, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.